You are listening to the 10 Minute Entrepreneur Podcast with host Sean Castrina. Today's going to be a great podcast. I have the founder and former CEO of Canera Bread. I have one of the lead investors and chairman of Kava, which is now a public company. It's great to have you on the podcast, Ron. Good to speak, Sean. How are you? All right. Great. It's Ron Shake. If anybody's wondering if what that last name is, I wanted to get that in there as well. I just had to get through the the long bio and make sure I get all these things, all the everything correct. Obviously, Sean, that was thirty seven years you went through in 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 ten seconds. I, and I didn't want to screw it up because we know you. We know little titles here and there can really. You know, some people can listen to it. Oh, I don't know if that's accurate, but, um, you know, I ate a Panera bread last week. Well, okay. Let me just say I had it delivered. So Panera was the one that jumped off the, the page to me, but Kava is also huge. So I, I, we're going to get into, you know, obviously some of that stuff in this incredible book that you just wrote called know what matters lessons from a lifetime of transformations. But first I like to start with, when did you know you were an entrepreneur? Well, it depends on what you define as an entrepreneur. Okay, you didn't want to work for anybody, Ron. I don't know that I ever wanted to work for there anybody. There you go. Then it was at yeah. birth. Uh, yeah, but but look it. To me, an entrepreneur is a guy who sees a need, who sees opportunities other people don't see. They're not I, capitalists. They're opportunists. And I always was an opportunist, seeing opportunity. Having said that, I I, I probably was much more interested in social impact, changing the world. I was um, that I was a uh, on, on a path to law school. And I had a chance to create a nonprofit convenience store uh, up in Clark University in, in Worcester, Massachusetts for a kid who couldn't dance, a kid who couldn't sing. I discovered that 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 business was the most creative thing I ever saw. It's live performance art in, in, in a real sense of it. And I loved it. And I must tell you one last thing, Sean. I, I can remember I ended up at, at Harvard Business School as a result of that convenience store. And I would sit in class and I think to my friends who were on their way to IBM or Exxon. And I'd say the guy who's running the Gulf station in the middle of Harvard square has more ability to have impact and actually control over his life than half of my peers. And that to me is what an entrepreneur is. What I, what I always, you know, and kind of digging down on the entrepreneur part of it is, is that at some point though, some people have an idea and are willing to take action on it, willing to, to, to risk something. There's that level of risk. Some people don't. They don't, it's just not in their DNA. And there's nothing wrong with the other one. I always joke, I would not have anything I have not for great employees. So I don't need all my employees. I, I mean, I'm glad we all we all have different wirings and why we, you know, go on the path that we take. That that's just the road that that, that it works itself out. But I do, I think entrepreneurs. They're very opportunistic. We're always kind of like, um, you know, even even to this, and I have a lot of different things, and you probably do the same thing, Ron. You'll bump into a problem, and like by the end of the day, you see a business, and you'll go to yourself, I don't need another business. But you've solved it in your head, and you know you could make it into a, a, a profitable company. In fact, Sean, even more importantly, to me, other people see risk. I see the greatest risk of not fulfilling that need or opportunity. It's like begging to be solved. It's right in front of you. You can see and taste it. It's how fast casual came about. The reality is that that I, it was so clear to me. I was running um, Au Bon Pen. It was very clear to me that that there was a niche, that that people walked into fast food and held their noses 
and 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 yet they wanted the speed and the convenience. If somebody could turn the currencies around, deliver real food, environments that engage them, people that actually gave a shit, if you could do that, you could change the currency from what fast food was, a lot of food for not a lot of not a lot of money, and convert it to something very different, which is um, um, an experience in which it elevated the humanity of people who came in there for just a few dollars more. Yeah. No, I mean, what, I think the other thing that you, you created in your store, and I, and I know you know this because I'm, I'm, I'm always making little notes when I see a business. And I remember the first time I, I went to a Panera Bread. And what I liked is, you know, kind of first start out, you know, you could pick two and I could have a salad, I could have a sandwich. So it was a very basic food, but it was a hot soup. It was a well done salad. So I'm like, okay, wait, I'm eating food. Like, cause like you said, fast food, I always felt gross. You know, you kind of get in, you get out, you know, you, you feel oh, like it's a self-service gasoline station for the human body. Exactly. And if you, you just know that, oh gosh, that's, you leave and you go, oh gosh, I did it again. But then you go to Panera. But what I, what blew me away. And I was, I said this to my wife, I said, see these, the trash cans, we're putting everything away and we're putting the, 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 the silverware here. We're putting this here. We're putting there. I said, he has trained us to fulfill a responsibility that he doesn't have to pay someone to do. But on the other side of that, it creates this upper side of your brain. It, you know, it engages like, yeah, I know how to do this. Yeah, I should be able to pick up after myself. Like there's nothing wrong with me making two steps to that trash, to that thing and go put my bowl here, my thing there. It was like this little decency exercise that you reminded us that we're all capable of. Yeah, but I actually think even more it was the decency you felt about yourself, the self-respect. I mean, most of, you know, it was actually you're eating good food. And yeah. these are people that care about, and hopefully the people were a little different at that oh, point. It, I mean, obviously you created an, you created an entire <laughs> a new definition of the, of the industry. Well, fast casual became something between 100 and $200 billion coming off of that understanding. I did it. Starbucks came about the same time. Steve Ells, it's, Chipotle a bit after us, but Boston it all came market. out of a common paradigm that there was something, there was a there was a, a niche out there. Not everybody, but people who wanted a better experience than fast food, but wanted the speed. Okay. Now you write the book, Know What Matters. What it what why did you write the book? And what is your 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 you hope that the you know the readers take away from this? Well, well, sure. Let me tell you what it isn't. It's not the same as most of the books of this genre. You know, most of the books of this genre are a slap in the back. I did so wonderfully. You could do wonderfully too. And the truth is I did great. I mean, I, over 37 years, Panera was the, the best performing restaurant stock for two decades, annualized returns of 25%, twice the stock performance of Starbucks, four times the performance of Chipotle during those 20 years. But that's the byproduct. What I really wanted to do with readers is try to understand how do you make this work? What is the entrepreneurial life like? What does it mean to run a large company? What does it mean to work in a large company? And what I really tried to focus on in here is not so much self-congratulatory uh, stories, but much more the pain of it, what it really takes. You know, you're an entrepreneur and your listeners are entrepreneurs often. People don't understand what it means to have the business own you. You don't own it. And take that when you have 125,000 employees and five or six or $7 billion of investor capital. And how do you manage that? How do you handle those trade-offs? How do you think about it? How do you live a life? I did this for 37 years. How do you bring up kids? Where does that fit in all of it? 
And so what I wanted was a book that spoke to much more than just the stories that actually gave our readers something to take away in a real way about how you do this. And I hope I did some real concepts they haven't heard before. And then the reality of what the life is like. Well, let's talk through some of the concepts. So let's kind of, let's take a brief walk through the book. I always say, you can't tell them too much. They're still going to buy it. And the more you tell them, the more they'll want to buy it. So give me like a fast track through a few of the things that, that, you know, that you write about that maybe entrepreneurs had not thought about or that you could teach them. Well, I, I start with a concept called premortem, which grew out of the death of my parents, which is to say anything we're going to do in our personal lives, which is usually where I start, and then I translate it to business, or business needs to start with a future back, walking out three, four, five years. What am I trying to create? Not the byproduct, and we'll talk about that in a second, but what am I trying to do for that guest? What am I trying to do for that consumer? And then step back from that, and understand what two or three things I need to do in the next 12 months to get me where I'm trying to get to in three to five years. That's one of the kind of concepts we call it pre-mortem or future back. Another kind of co concept I talk about in there is the difference between means, ends, and byproducts. You know, we often talk about value creation. That's a byproduct. I can't make it happen. Um, what can I make happen? I can build a better competitive alternative. I can solve a problem. When I do that, the byproduct is value creation. And all of my time and energy is voted, is devoted, quite frankly, to the means to delivering that better end um, of a better competitive alternative. We talk a great deal about that and what that means and how you do that and how that then translates into all your activities. So much of our activities as entrepreneurs running big companies is reaction, reacting to all the impulse coming at us, reacting to our competitors. But where we want to be acting is into the future into what we're trying to create into and what that means. You know, we talk about presidents of the United States. They spend 18 hours a day on activities, reacting to the environment. But yet in the end, they're known for one, two, or three things. You can think about the George Bush and 9-11, and, and, and weapons of mass destruction. You can think yeah. about Obama. Katrina. Yeah, yeah Katrina. There's Bush. There's three things. That's it. Yeah. That's his Katrina, whole presidency. Obama, it's Obamacare. and. Yeah. You know, and you can go to Trump in January 6th and 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 COVID. And we'll see what it is for Biden. Maybe it's Afghanistan. Who knows? But the point is, it's the same in business. What are the things that really matter? Right? What is the things that are going to really matter in what you're trying to do in 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 a in a future back perspective? And from there we begin to talk about how do you apply that? How do you build a, a better competitive alternative? We talk about a concept essence document, your go-to-market strategy. And I and 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 we really use examples and stories to tell that. How do you build that? If there was anything that was worth the seven and a half billion dollars I sold Panera for, it was the clarity of its go-to-market strategy. And what does that mean? And then we talk a great deal about transformation. I we talk about the, the transformations that were part of my career over 37 years. Every eight to 10 years, we had to transform this company. What did that mean? We started as a croissant shop. We became a bakery cafe. How and why did that happen? Where did that learning come from? We made the decision. Um, we talked about it a minute ago. The ideology that led to fast casual, of which we took Panera Bread, one of our four divisions, and made that the poster child for the manifestation of fast, fast casual. How did we think about that? What was going on for us? Third, very big decision for your, your entrepreneurial listeners 
1999, I made the decision in a large public company to sell all our other divisions and focus everything on Panera. At that time, you could have bought my stock for a penny on the dollar that it eventually sold for. How do you go through that decision? How do you think about the decision? Most importantly for me, what did it feel like when you're going through transformation? I spent a year and a half. I sold my first son, Opompin. There was blood on the floor as I went through that year. It was a powerfully difficult year. And any day you could have convinced me to not do the deal. Now, in the end, it turned out to do very well. But what is that experience and how do you make those decisions? And how do you know it's the right decision to make? And then I retired in 2009 um, to go do social action and, 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 and created something called Panera Cares. But I came back in 2011. I actually wrote a document. And the document I wrote, I was still doing a lot of the M&A work for the company. I wrote a document how I would compete with Panera, frankly, how I'd screw with Panera if I weren't part of Panera. And, and the guy who had taken over from me, my very dear friend, Bill Morton, looked at me and said, Ron, will you go work on it? And this public company CEO that I was, I started working on the product. I loved it. And this executive chairman of the company was working 60, 80 hours a week on a new prototype. And, and ultimately something happened. Bill couldn't travel. I ended up coming back as CEO. And I took those, those initiatives that were the very core of, of my learning and transformation in 2011, digital, loyalty, um, um, a redefined go-to-market strategy, including clean food, omnichannel, all these things that had been themes that, that became themes of the restaurant industry. We bet it all in 2012 and 13. How do we make that decision? Why? What did it feel like? I went through that transformation. I had activist investors attack me because it was easy. You could pull costs out. We were investing for the long term. How do you do that? What happens during that process? Um, I had people quit because when you're going through change and transformation, it hurts before it gets better. And the truth is, and you know it, Sean, every one of your listeners does, nothing's proven till it's done. How do you manage that? And truthfully, when you're running a big public company, you got billions of dollars at stake. As somebody once put it, Vince Lombardi, I believe, said he never lost a game. He just ran out of time. How do you make sure you have the time? And how do you deal with your own personal emotions? I mean, there, you know, I went through a divorce in this, you know, how do you deal with that? And how do you, you know, there's a statement, I believe deeply, there is no such thing as balance. All there is are trade-offs. How do you make those kinds of things? So we try to really talk in this book, I do, about all of this and try to give your listeners perspective. And then why did I come back and do it yet again? I sold Panera for seven and a half billion. Within eight weeks, I proposed the cop of the acquisition of a public company called Zoe's five times larger. What was the rationale for that? Why? I can tell you. The rationale was you, 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 you compete, and we could see that Mediterranean was going to become a powerful uh, niche in the marketplace, that Kava had the potential of being nationally dominant. How do we help it get there? And we made that bet and put the money in to help fund that and have been working on that and half a dozen other businesses since. Why am I still doing this? I'm 70 and I'm still driving transformation. Well, honestly, that's a great question. And it's a great question for, for your listeners themselves to figure out. Why do they do what they do? Well, well that's what I, you know, talking about that, because I believe that <laughs> why do we do it? And I, as an entrepreneur, because I'll, I'll constantly, every year I, I, do, I start something, invest in something, get something, however it is. And I tell my family, I go, other people have hobbies. 
this is my hobby. And I just happen to get paid really well for it when I'm right. <laughs> but, but like those, I, you know, I play golf, but I, the way I play golf is I play nine holes. I play first thing in the morning. I can, spending five hours on a golf course and have an hour and a half lunch is the dumbest use of time ever created nine holes. I'm done in an hour and 20 minutes. I'm walking off. I get a tea time set. I got a set time 7.08. Boom. I'm, I'm walking off at 8.30. My office is a mile from the golf course. My house is two miles that way. I, I mean, if I manage the, the, the things I want to do, you know, you know, tennis or golf or, you know, all those things, I've got an awful lot of time still to focus on what I call my, my real hobbies, which is the entrepreneurial side. Well, well, Sean, I'm exactly the same way. I focused on two things in my life, my work and my family, period. I didn't. I never played golf for just that reason. In fact, I didn't start really exercising until 15 years ago and realized I needed to do that. I really put it all into that because I loved more than anything else. And I think many of your listeners will get it and they'll certainly get it from the book. I loved when I figured it out. When I understood something the rest of the world hadn't gotten to yet, when I really figured it out, I loved it. And that's innovation in a large company. And that's what a lot of this book is. How do you do this? And then how do you run these companies? And one of the difference between you and me, right? I tend to be, I'm very entrepreneurial, but I've done the same thing in, in the same entity for 37 years. I started with a croissant shop in 1981, sold it in 2017. Um, same company, took it public, went through the gyrations, all the different phases. Hell, I ran a public company for longer than Cal Ripken played baseball. And so part of my perspective is staying power, the ability to take it through all these cycles. And, and it's not just enough to start it or have a better idea. You better understand how to run it, how to manage it, how to care for it. It's another child and you better nurture it. And then there's another principle I talk about in here, which I, I, I say whenever I'm speaking and, 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 the, and it's really important for your, your listeners to get it. The business doesn't own you. You own the business. You, you own the, you think you own the business, the business owns you. And it's, you know, and how do you manage that part of yourself when it's with you in the shower, when it's with you on the beach, it's when your most creative thinking occurs but it's also a price you pay. And if there's anything I want to say to people, the name of the game here is not, listen, I did well. It's not the rewards that come out the other end. It's actually figuring it out and knowing you figured it out and then the people that you touch. And of all the things I'm most proud of in this whole thing, it's the tens of thousands of people that have learned along the way um, a better way to run companies, a better way to run organizations, a better way, frankly, to run our society. Thinking long-term, beginning to say, we're going to we'll figure out how we compete long-term, starting by, by telling themselves the truth, using that as a means to know what's going to matter three years, five and seven from now, and then no BS actually getting it done. Now, I, I, I'm addicted to entrepreneurship for everything you just said. I, I've said, you know, uh, other than faith, there's nothing that changes more lives generationally than entrepreneurship. There's no, not even... You know, I was like all, all those buildings at those universities, the names on those buildings are yeah. all entrepreneurs, because if you all these great dreams people have it takes money for all of them to happen. But but here's the deal, Sean, and I have my name on a building and really what the entrepreneurial process is about is what it does for you. And 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 what it does for you is your ability to touch people and make a difference. It's not about all that stuff that comes with it. When you come from the stuff. 
you never make it. Those are the guys that fail. The guys that succeed are the guys that love something, love their idea, know that they have something better and are willing to do whatever it takes to get it done. Well, I'm convinced one thing because we're so passionate about it. We are always the last to sit at the table and eat anyway. I, for every business I had, I can't tell you how many times I gave my salary back to hire somebody that I thought could bring more that I needed. So I always had three, multiple companies going on at, at times because I'm like, okay, I'm going to live off of this because if I take reallocate it, man, we can buy that building or we can buy that. We can get that guy. We can get that person. I did just that in a public company. We'd wait till the fourth quarter. Uh, we, if we needed to meet the quarter, I always knew I had my bonus, which I had accrued, but not yet been paid that I could take to pick up a couple of extra pennies a share. And that's the same kind of philosophy. To me, I always came from, I still do. I give, and when I give, it generates something back to me. But if you're not willing to give and create something better for your organization, for your people, and most importantly for your guests, there's nothing there for anybody. It's not about what comes out for you. It's about what you create for others. No, I, I love it. This is an incredible interview. I have Ron Shake with me. He is obviously, we've been talking about Panera Bread, but he is also the chairman and initial one of the initial investors of Kava. I hope I said that correctly all that time around. I want to give everybody their fair accolades. And the book, this is why we're talking today. It's called Know What Matters, Lessons from a Lifetime of Transformation. Ron, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Truly, just like my audience are going to say, that's the most Sean's ever shut up. <laughs> just learning thank a you, lot. Sean. Good. I hope we had fun. I did. Thank you very much, my friend. It was Be great. Super great. Again, thank you so much. Um, audience, uh, you, go buy the book. What more can I say? Go buy the book. Listen to the podcast again. I, I know you learned something. Uh, thank you again. This podcast is to equip, encourage, and educate entrepreneurs in the least amount of time possible because your host has just very little attention span. We'll talk again soon. Again, thank you so much.